The views and opinions expressed on my story, Living with Lupus Podcast, represents each person's individual experience. By listening to this podcast or reading our blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. As always, consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. My Story Living with Lupus podcast is officially trademarked, all rights reserved. Thank you for joining me for another episode of My Story, Living with Lupus Podcast. I'm your host, Susan Hendricks, and I'm so glad that you could join me on this Friday, March 18th, 2022. I told you I would be back today. Today, I'll be talking about HHS to revise doctor insurer dispute process under No Surprises Act. Also, we'll be discussing strategies to embrace living with lupus. Also, self-efficacy impact on pain and fatigue in black women with lupus. And lastly, this is a topic I did a YouTube on because I was thinking um, about and I was doing research on stem cell therapy. That's right. Stem cell therapy shows early promise for treatment with lupus. See, I was ahead of the times. So, you know what I want you to do. And today, I'm going to give a shout out to my state, Michigan. That's right, especially to Detroit, Redford, Highland Park. That's right, HP for life. Lansing, Traverse City, Grand Rapids, and Hamtramck. Thank you so much for tuning in. And by the way, I'm a graduate of Highland Park Community High School class of 1979. So, get ready. Go ahead, grab your cup of coffee, your cup of tea, and to my listeners late at night, go ahead and grab your favorite glass of wine. Come on and join the conversation right here on my story, Living with Lupus Podcast. Thank you.
Thank you for joining me and especially to my new listeners on Reason FM. Before we start with the first topic, um, doctor insurer dispute process under the No Surprises Act, I want to tell you about um, a situation that um, I was having. Now, I was going to my gastroenterologist um, because of my um, gastrointestinal issues. Um, I have gastroparesis. And also, I have G6PD. And for those of you who do not know what um, G6PD is, it's a genetic disorder that results in deficiency of an enzyme called glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenized um, G6PD, that's what it stands for, in the blood, which is necessary for healthy and proper functioning of red blood cells. Now, this deficiency causes breakdown of red blood cells permanently. And the gastroparesis means that um, a portion of my stomach, you might as well say in layman terms, is paralyzed. Um, and um, I have to eat certain foods which are soft um, that I can digest. I have to eat six small meals per day and sometimes... I can't eat six small meals per day because I'm always feeling full. So um, the gastroenterologist um, informed me to drink um, Ensure plant-based because, you know, I can't have uh, uh, I have a glucose, not glucose intolerance, but um, I'm lactose intolerance. I, I can't digest milk products. And so I got the plant-based Ensure. I picked it on up and out of my own ignorance, I did not read what it had in it. And lo and behold, it is made with fava beans. And by having G6PD, I have to stay away from fava beans. Um, and I kept wondering why I felt so strange after I had a... Um, Ensure plant-based um, protein drink. 
And something told me to look on the, the back of the protein drink to see what it had in it. And sure enough, it had fava beans. And I said, well, this is why um, I'm feeling bad. So now I had to go to Evolve protein plant-based drink um, whenever uh, I can't consume um, what I normally eat uh, for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. I'll just um, have one of the Evolve drinks. So I'll let you know how how that tastes. But if anyone else suffers from um, G6PD or um, gastroparesis, make sure you check out the back of um, the back labels of anything that you can can consume because um, unknowingly, and I should have known because I usually do look at the ingredients labels before I purchase anything, but as far as what I'm consuming now is like applesauce, baby food, um, I had to switch from Ensure to Evolve. And um, just eggs. It's a plant-based egg substitute. Um, I can't stomach eggs at all. So um, when I have a taste for eggs, I'll just go to the just egg plant-based product. And it's good. It really is. Now, enough of me. And let's get back, back or let's get on to the um, topic at hand. Um, the No Surprises Act. Now, the U.S. Department of Labor issued a memo. It and other departments would be revising parts of the No Surprises Act rules that a lawsuit had, according to them, recently invalidated rules protecting patients from surprise billing will remain the same. This abrupt move comes on the heels of a U.S. District Court decision in favor of the Texas Medical Association, better known as TMA, who sued the Department of Health and Human Services, better known as HHS, and other agencies for their regulatory interpretation of the No Surprises Act. HHS still has the option to appeal the decision before changing its regulations, but
but the memo implies it has elected to rewrite the controversial parts instead. The Texas Medical Association qualms were with the independent dispute resolution process meant as a last resort for doctors and insurers who cannot agree on a price for medical services. Under the Act, the portion of what a doctor charges out of network ensures that they don't agree to pay can no longer be passed on to patients. Instead, they must come to an agreement. The lawsuit resolved on February the 23rd agreed with the association that the rules emphasize on pricing benchmarked called the qualifying payment amount, better known as QPA, and these disputes wasn't consistent with the law passed by Congress. A rebuttal assumption that the bid closest to the QPA would be the winning one in arbitration was vacated. Now, organizations um, representing physicians, including the TMA, had argued this would stack the deck in favor of insurers who calculate the QPA based on their median in-network rates for services in a particular geographical area. To me, that's redlining. For now, the exact nature of the revisions is unclear, although the memo does not note that the departments are reviewing the court's decision and considering next steps. They laid out the steps the departments are taking to conform to the court's order, including withdraw, withdrawing guidance, documents that are based on or that refer to the portions of the rule that the court invalidated and providing more training to independent dispute entities. Surprise billing in the past has given emergency physicians, radiologists, anesthesiologists, and others a leg up when negotiating network contracts with insurers in a field less um, reliant on these networks for patients and pay. Privileging the QPA or median network rate in pay disputes would mean insurers could justify cutting pay rates for services at hospitals being paid more 
than their median. Now, because by definition, half of the hospitals in a given area under insurance plans were being paid more than median rates. See, red flag in my mind means uh, you're redlining certain areas and many significantly more a sudden change like favoring the median unless presented with overwhelming evidence that the service was worth more gives immediate disproportionate power to the insurance plans which could be very disruptive Instead, emergency room physicians want arbitrators settling pay disputes to take into account other factors that influence costs equally, like case complexity, physician's experience, and historic in-network contracted rates. How HHS decides to revise the rules will determine whether or not providers will get what they want. Now, HHS still has 60 days to appeal. So, what do you think will come of this? Now, a number of other lawsuits challenging the HHS for its No Surprises Act rules are underway, including from the American Medical Association and American Society Society of Anesthesiologists. You know, sometimes um, government needs to stay out of some things, especially when it comes to medicine. You know, doctors now have it, how can I put this, um, have it tough, you know, um, they have to fill out more paperwork. You know, half of the time they're in the exam room with the patient. They're busy on making sure they're crossing every T and dotting every I because of government regulations. And um, this time... Yes, this time, I have to stick with the um, doctors on this. Government really needs to stay out and um, it's like they, they will pay, the insurer will pay one geographical area, one thing a higher rate, then you may pay for someone who is in a metropolitan city 
And that's redlining. I don't care how you look at it or how you may interpret it. It's redlining. There should be no cost to a person receiving quality health care. You want to take doctors through the ringer for providing care to patients. Now, we know that it is a limited amount that doctors will do based, well, I should say some doctors will do based on the insurance that a patient will have, especially a state insurance, because the physician knows they're going to get paid little to nothing and that it will take them months just to receive a payment on that patient who has state insurance. It is not like a private insurance or a commercial insurance, but um, government just needs to stay out and let the doctors do their job and take care of the patients. So stick with me. We'll be right back and we'll talk about, um, let's see, self-efficacy impact on pain and fatigue in Black women with lupus. So stay right with me. And I'm back, and we're going to talk about self-efficacy impact on pain and fatigue in Black women with lupus. Now, for Black women with lupus, research shows that self-efficacy, the personal belief that one is capable of accomplishing something is linked to reduced pain and fatigue interference in daily life. In other words, women who believe that they were capable of managing their symptoms as well as their medications and treatments reported that pain and fatigue had less of an impact on their daily activities than women who doubted their personal capabilities. Researchers assessed data from nearly 700 Black women with lupus ages 18 and older. Those who felt less capable of managing their symptoms low symptom efficacy or less capable of managing their treatments and medication, low treatment self-efficacy reported greater pain and fatigue. 
Now, you know, with this, I just have to say this. When this is a low number, you know, for data, in my opinion, it is a very low number. And when you're getting data like this, we should look at several factors um, when it comes to this. We have to look at the education. We have to look at um, if they're employed or unemployed. We have to look at the um, um, socioeconomic component also to, to figure out um, where this data is and if it's really true. Um, and also there is a misconception um, in the medical field that Black women can endure pain much better than those of another race. But it's a lot of things that you have to take into consideration when reporting something like this. Because when you state researchers assess data from nearly 700 Black women, what did their educational background comprise of, employment status, um, were they um, parents or what? It's a low number. And, and I totally have to disagree with this because you, you don't know the the number is too low to come up with any concrete evidence of anything. Now, researchers further went on, um, stated mood and age and education level also had an effect on these aspects of quality of life. Now, everybody's quality of life is different. It's a different definition. Even in women with averaging to high self-efficacy, depression increased the intensity of their pain and fatigue. Additionally, those who were older or had achieved less education were less likely to benefit from feelings of self-efficacy. When it comes to coping with pain and fatigue, the findings highlight both the importance of depression screening and treatment in Black women with lupus as well as the value of lupus self-management skill building. Now, when it comes to that part, the value of lupus self-management skill building, who are we 
going to get to instruct black women on how to self-manage and where will they get the tools to skill build with? Will they get it from the doctor? Where? Because I'm lucky when it came to um, my diagnosis and coping with lupus. Because I was in the medical field. I knew um, somewhat about lupus. And when they finally told me, gave me that definite diagnosis of systemic lupus erythematosus, I sat up and, and informed the doctor before he told me. I said, I have lupus. You know, it was no surprise to me. Hey, since the age of five, it laid dormant, and then it hit me. Um, it came back and hit me um, ten times as hard. It was... That was a no-brainer, but being in the medical field, um, I, I did my own research, and my heart goes out to those who don't have the, the knowledge and the tools to do your own research. That's why I do this podcast, to try to enlighten those who are newly diagnosed with this illness on what to ask the doctor. Don't be scared, you know, because some physicians will not tell patients, well, this is what you need to do. Avoid this. And I'm going to give you um, some information to read at your leisure on how to deal with this um, illness. So come on, you know, where are these, where are these tools gonna come from within the healthcare field for patients who are suffering from this chronic illness? As I stated, this is why I do the podcast. Now, when it comes to coping with pain and um, fatigue, the findings highlight both the importance of depression screening and treatment in Black women with lupus, as well as the value of lupus self-management skill building. Hmm. The Lupus Foundation of America offers two programs designed to help people with lupus feel confident and empowered to effectively manage their symptoms and treatments. You know, it's nice that they have come up with a program, um, you know, to help patients. And one of the programs is a 12-week 
email series on managing lupus. Now you can head on over to the Lupus Foundation of America to learn more about that. But um, we really need to be responsible to help the next person who has been diagnosed with this illness um, to give them the tools to help them along the way. You know, it's more to lupus than that five-letter word lupus. Stick with me. Be right back. We're back and talking about new insights into long-term Benlesta treatment in lupus. Data from people who continually treated their lupus with Benlesta for several years indicate um, the drug remains safe after long-term use. Researchers looked at changes in two key biomarkers over time, B cells and immunoglobulin G, I, better known as IgG, two indicators of immune system activity. After five to six years, of continued Benlesta use, both B cells and IgG decreased. And these reductions were not associated with increased infection risk or any significant changes in the drug's safety profile. Additionally, Researchers found that people with elevated baseline levels of B cells, a subset of B cells, were more likely to respond better to Benlesta therapy, while those with elevated baseline IgG levels were less likely to respond well to the treatment and had greater rates of infection. The findings suggest that assessing B cell and IgG levels before starting long-term use of Benlesta may help healthcare providers better predict how people would do on the drug and their long-term infection risk. Now, we're going to talk about stem cell. Stem cell therapy shows early promise for the treatment of lupus. And as I stated before, previously in the beginning of this podcast, I did a YouTube on um, stem cells for the treatment of my lupus. And you know, everyone 
Even some doctors say, oh, it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. But now it's showing promise. Stem, excuse me, stem cell therapy is showing early promise. Now, a new published study reviewing the current body of scientific evidence on the safety and efficacy of stem cell therapy to treat rheumatic illnesses highlights the potential benefits of stromal cells, MSCs, a type of stem cell for the treatment of lupus. The review was led by the Lupus Foundation. The majority of the studies completed to date in mice assessing the use of MSCs for the treatment of lupus have reported improvement in kidney disease and life expectancies, both before and after the development of lupus nephritis, better known as LN. The therapy also shows promise for the treatment of refractory lupus. Now, lupus disease that's resistant to treatment. While results have been mixed, some early clinical trials have found that people with refractory lupus respond well to MSC therapy with some people going into clinical remission and others seeing significant disease improvement. More research, they state, is needed. The Lupus Foundation was acknowledged in the review study. So, see, um, go on YouTube and um, look for Susan Hendricks um, and you'll see where um, my um, YouTube video is about um, stem cell therapy because I talked about um, my bone marrow aspiration in the um, video and everything. And when you talk about stem cells, some people think you're talking about stem cells from um, aborted fetuses in which you're not. So check that video out. And when we return, I'll be checking out. So stick with me. I would like to thank you all for joining me. Oops. Also, I'd like to thank Detroit, Redford, Highland Park, Lansing, Traverse City, Grand Rapids, Hamtramck, and the whole entire USA and the 11 countries. I think it's more than 11 that I'm in right now. Um, 
And also, I would like to thank all of my new listeners on Reason FM. I want to leave you with this. We have to learn to trust the weight. Not W-E-I-G-H-T, but W-A-I-T. Trust the weight. Embrace the uncertainty. Enjoy the beauty of becoming. When nothing is certain, anything is possible. Let's have peace over panic, faith over fear, and wisdom over worry. I'm Susan Hendricks, your host for my story, Living with Lubitz. Have a peaceful, positive, productive, and oh-so-blessed weekend. I'll see you next week for another episode.